Hi, I'm Laura Schultz. This is Starting to Feel Better, a podcast about healing from trauma, violence, and abuse. For the past 10 years, I've been an advocate, educator, and social worker, focusing on trauma-responsive care and victim or survivor-centered advocacy. Music is another important part of my life. Lately, I've been especially interested in the intersection between creativity and healing from trauma. In this podcast, I intend to further explore using the creative arts as a method of healing with guests who work in these fields. This is a podcast about connecting with each other and embracing all of the parts of ourselves. It's about recognizing, as Carl Jung said, that we are not what happened to us. We are who we choose to become. Welcome to Starting to Feel Better. My name is Brianna, and I am a music therapist and a pet mom. I've got a dog and a cat, and <laughs> and and uh, exercise gal too. So all these the, all these identities feel important to you. Being a music therapist, being a pet parent, and then also movement and exercise are, are a big part of your identity too. Mm-hmm. Do you want to say more about the pet ownership and the exercises and movement? Sure. Um, I, as I mentioned, I've got a dog and a cat, and they just bring me such joy and such comfort just in the simplicity of their life and the great examples that they show us in their life. Like uh, when I come home, well, when I used to come home every day before all of this changed, um, they would be there greeting me at the door and just happy, just to see me. It didn't matter what happened in the day. It didn't matter what's going on in the world. They're just happy to see you. And then their sheer joy in the little things, just simple toys or simple things like going for a walk that mean the world to them is a great thing for me to take an example from them, as well as learning how to relax and take it easy. You know, how the cat will just sit in the back corner and just sleep and just look so happy mm-hmm. and so content. So really just reminding me to focus in on those little things and they, they can make such a big difference. And then for the exercise piece, that's, I mean, I've been an active person since I can remember. I've always been involved in sports and in music my whole life. So mm-hmm. sports has been a big part of that too. And maintaining that movement throughout all this difficult time has also been an important thing for me too. Um, so just keeping my body healthy helps keep my mind mm-hmm. healthy too. Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking about the way that music can in some ways feel competitive for some people and sports can, in my mind, feel really competitive. I wondered if you could speak to that at all. There are definitely some parallels in competition. I guess it's it's a little different for me um, growing up. In, musically, I came from a really small town, and I played French horn growing up. For the longest time, I was the only one. <laughs> so I didn't technically have a lot of competition, but I guess... In a sense, it was a slight competition for myself just to be the best that I could. And then also to play the loudest so everybody can still hear me <laughs> out in the audience anyway, even though I was the only one. Right. But learning um, competition, a healthy bounce of competition within 
sports was an interesting concept, I guess, for me to learn as a kid, just going, being in that smaller school. And Mm -hmm. as the school grew, as I was in high school, that was just an interesting dynamic to learn Mm -hmm. at that age. So especially with music, it was more about competition with yourself and sports. It was a little bit more balancing what's a healthy amount of competition to have with other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can vividly remember <laughs> competitions of during conditioning days in basketball practice, and we would have to, you know, do all of those sprints in practice and always having to be at least in the top number of people to finish those sprints. But yeah, it's definitely a different way of competition mm-hmm. com- comparing music and and athletics, but there's certainly some parallels. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that came to mind when you were discussing each of these elements of identity is the central role that mindfulness plays in each of those. Mindfulness of the present moment, ability um, of each of those to bring you into right now instead of what we talk about on the podcast as chatter in that in that frontal lobe so um I wondered if it feels that way for you if it feels like each of these have to do with mindfulness awareness of present moment non-judgmental yeah I think those are really important pieces of each of those things because if you've heard of the concept of flow before, mm-hmm. like being engaged in something that really brings you enjoyment. So you're able to just focus on that for extended periods of time mm-hmm. and you have no concerns or worries about the extended world. So you're able to really focus and be in the moment. Yeah, And that's something that's been helpful for me in general is focusing on the here and now because I can't predict what's going to happen in any part of the future. So Mm -hmm. it doesn't do me any good to worry about all of that and get into that whole cycle. Whereas Mm -hmm. I can just focus here on the now. Yeah. Yeah. We've had some really interesting conversations about the way that flow state for some people is a lot more easy to attain when they're creating just for the sake of creating Mm -hmm. rather than creating for an end product So if they're writing for something that they know is going to be published, it doesn't feel the same. There's an external pressure that they feel. Whereas um, maybe writing a song that you have no intention of trying to get placed on General Hospital or whatever it is, you know, it's just about writing it um, feels much more like you're able to enter that. And that's something that we often talk about within the music therapy practice Mm -hmm. That when we're engaging with music for with someone, it's not about that product. It is about the process yeah. and everything that's happening in between that. So, yeah, we're yeah. not making music to create that product to go out into the world. It's, yeah, it's about what's happening in that moment within that music process. Yeah. So for you, do you remember the first time that you had a strong reaction to a piece of music? Yes, I, oh gosh, how old was I? Must have been a sophomore in high school. I um, had auditioned to be in the, so I grew up in South Dakota, so I had an audition to be, get into the uh, South Dakota uh, State Orchestra, mm-hmm. which was a pretty big deal because my school didn't even have an orchestra. We were so small. Um, but, and that orchestra also only took a select amount of 
instrumentalists from the entire state. Mm-hmm. And so a French horn section is rather small. There's only a few of them, but I got selected to be on that. And within that orchestra, and I, to me, it was just huge and awesome. And I remember specifically sitting in that group of phenomenal musicians from all around the state, and we were playing Holst's The Planets. We were just, I was just sitting there listening to all of us playing, and I just felt, you know, those goosebumps and those mm-hmm. chills in my body. And I had never experienced that before. So, I mean, that moment has stuck with me for all of these years. Yeah, that, there's something really kind of magical about those moments when your whole body is responding to music. We had a guest who was talking about community singing, but she said, and I think about music therapists in the the same way as these community sing leaders, that she said they know how to sort of manipulate music so that those goosebump moments happen more often. They know which intervals to take you to and mm-hmm. how to perform um, so that you can manufacture that magic for other people. I just love how so many people can have these same experiences and feelings but in so many different settings and feelings you know it doesn't have to be an orchestra it doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be at a choir it can be at a rock concert it can be you sitting down in your office listening to a song and it just Mm -hmm. hits you it's I just love that about music and it can catch you in any way at any time yeah and I wonder if this is around the same time then that you began to think of yourself as a musician hmm it's hard to pinpoint when I, I did, because I don't think I really thought about those kinds of things when I was in sure. high school. But I mean, when I, I do sit down and think about it, I, I know that music has always been a part of my life and it's always been there since I was in my mother's womb. So it's always been there and it continues to be. But I don't think I probably considered myself a musician maybe until college when I started taking it a little more seriously. I love the idea of music in the womb, and I would love it if you could expand on that just a little bit more. Oh, sure. There's all sorts of research out there um, saying how babies can hear and respond to music in utero. It's uh, as soon as they can start hearing, I think it's around 16 weeks, weeks or so. I don't recall specifically, but it's rather early on that babies can hear and respond to music. And I think one of the most fascinating things is that if you if you sing a song to a baby as they're in utero, they can, even after they're born, recall and recognize that song for the next year. Mm. It's just fascinating it's to me. It's wild. Yeah, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That really is amazing. And the idea of even just a heartbeat being music, to a baby um, is just a lovely sort of cozy thought Mm -hmm. to me. It's, yeah, it's really beautiful in its Mm -hmm. simplicity. And we do some things like that within our work within music therapy. So for example, if there's a, a mom, especially right now, who can't be with her baby due to the precautions of COVID-19, we can do heartbeat recordings of the mom and play those as recordings for the baby at bedside. So mm-hmm. the baby can hear that familiar sound and help bring in some calm and some comfort in that rhythm that we mm-hmm. have. Because our bodies 
are rhythmic. We have circadian rhythms. We have respiratory rhythms. I mean, we are, we are very cyclical and rhythmic in our bodies and our brains, and our heartbeat is just one facet of that. Mm-hmm. That's so cool to record the heartbeat and then play it for the baby. Mm-hmm. Kind of return the mother to the baby in that way. Yeah, I mean, we got to do what we can for each other during this really challenging time. And simple things like that can make a real difference for the baby mm-hmm. in its st- stress responses. So hearing that mom's mom's recorded voice even and mm-hmm. then hearing baby's or mom's heartbeat to mm-hmm. help bring in that comfort and soothing. Yeah. And so what was it that drew you to working with people as a therapist? Um. I I think early on, I was still trying to figure that out, in all honesty. I knew, since music was a big part of my life, I knew that there was something that I wanted to do with that. And I had always known about music therapy. So just one day it hit me, knew it was what I was supposed to do, but I didn't really have any idea what I was going to do with it. Um, and so when I transferred schools to study music therapy more you know the more you learn but then you kind of learn oh the more you don't know Mm -hmm. (laughs) if you've ever Mm -hmm. had that experience definitely um so I after yeah when I finished Mm -hmm. my undergraduate degree I'm like oh my goodness are you oh boy I've got a lot to figure out here Uh, but the more I've met people and the more I've been a clinician in music therapy the real thing that has been the biggest thing for me is just learning everybody's story It can be just the person down your street and they just have the most fascinating story. And that's one of the things that I love most is getting to make these connections with people with music and then finding out who they are and their experiences that have helped mold them in Mm -hmm. their life. Yeah. I wonder if for listeners who are not familiar, if you could provide kind of a definition of music therapy? Sure. So according to our association, the American Music Therapy Association, music therapy is the clinical and evidence-based use of music interventions to accomplish individualized goals. So it's using the music as the tool to help with things like uh, emotional physical, cognitive, um, all sorts of different domains. So, but really having that music as our tool to, for change. Mm-hmm. And when you're working as a music therapist now, is there a specific population that you're working with primarily? Right now, I'm primarily working with adults on palliative care and then children and adults in hospice care. Okay. I've really worked with a whole lifespan. So I've done um, children who are in neonatal intensive care units, early childhood, uh, older adult groups in nursing facilities, really all sorts of people and ages and abilities. Mm -hmm. In all of these populations, um, trauma is ubiquitous. The trauma is everywhere. It affects so many facets of our lives, brain, body, spirituality, academics Mm -hmm. or professional life, on and on. And so in what ways have you found that music and music therapy 
that they're uniquely suited for working with individuals who have experienced or who are currently surviving trauma. Yeah. So first is that we, as music therapists, those are the areas in which we work is the brain, spiritually, psychosocially, emotionally. Those are the facets in which we address goals for our treatment plans. And then second, um, music therapy is just unique because we don't have to use words. Sometimes it's just really hard to find the right words or any words to process what in the world is going on. So we can just use the music and that could be a great way to just process these things in a different way because music is so emotional and it's so some for some people it's very spiritual and there's just all sorts of different ways that music can be used um, to help with these with trauma specifically and I think one extra unique facet about music therapy is that we can utilize a biopsychosocial approach so we can use music to approach trauma from within the brain to help neurologically work through the trauma, but also physiologically too, working through that trauma in your body as well. Can you talk a little bit more about the physiological? Um, sure. Sure. So often when people experience, let's say, for example, a big T trauma, so it might be something like uh, physical or sexual violence or something like that. So a big trauma, um, oftentimes people are operating out of their the base of their brain. Mm -hmm. So that's more in their brain. Um, and so... There, your frontal cortex is where all of your executive functioning lies. But pretty much when you're operating from a big T trauma, that frontal cortex is not operational because of the trauma. And so when people are living from trauma and their brain is pretty much operating at that base, basal brain area, we have to adapt our interventions to appropriately address the state in which the person is. So we use an individualized approach to music therapy to for where they're at. So that was a long <laughs> spiel to get into that. But uh, for example, we're going to use some interventions that won't engage so much the frontal cortex. So it wouldn't be complex thinking like uh, lyric analysis or songwriting where that would be very involved. We're going to be doing more Simplistic based things like uh, just having a simple metronome can really be grounding. Um, and that's where rhythm goes through is through the base of your brain. And so really activating that place in which the person is at and then slowly changing the interventions to get the music to be processed in the rest of the brain and kind of wake up the rest of the brain mm -hmm. because music is really processed in the whole brain. And it's one of the few activities that we as humans can do to get that much brain activation during one time. So we're cognizant of that and not jumping from A to Z, but starting from A and going B, C within those interventions. So using those lower levels, doing things like 
music assisted relaxation. So having very calming, soothing, slow tempoed music. Because if you had something that was very high tempo, very energetic, that can just really be uh, contraindicated for somebody and that could potentially do more harm Mm -hmm. than good. And so that's why it's important to have a music therapist helping and providing that support during those times. I think it's, it's really fascinating to think about the brain Um, And for victims and survivors who have worked with to learn more through psychoeducation about the way that the brain responds during that traumatic event and then um, later as we're trying to process through it, because like we, we know talk therapy doesn't work for everyone because that part of the brain often goes offline. Mm -hmm. And so music I think of as a really especially beneficial, um, accessible way for people to kind of process through some of that. Right. Yeah. And, and you don't have to be a musician to benefit from, from music therapy. We don't, there is no expectation for you to be a professional musician or singer in any way. It's just that we all respond to music and we and music therapists can help assess and adapt different interventions to help support people wherever they're at. I have a question about so this has come up a couple of times with regards to like um, art trauma, right? So if we're in school for something and our teacher tells us we're not good at it and then we never want to come back to it, um, I wonder about that in regards to clients. If there have been any clients who you've worked with who are like, no, I'm, I'm not like, you're kind of saying, I'm not a professional musician. I, I'm, I can't sing. Um, I'm feel embarrassed and nervous. Oh yeah. (laughs) It makes me so sad. The number of times that people have told me, uh, let's say I walk into a hospital room and it's a person in their seventies and they immediately say, Oh, I don't sing. When I was in elementary school, my teachers, uh, my music teacher told me to stand in the back and just smell the words. So what stands out to me is that this 70-year-old person mm-hmm. has held on to that moment mm-hmm. for all of these years. And it just makes me so sad every time I hear it. And it has been many, many times. So yes, that does happen a lot of the times. And your own voice is you and your voice is unique to you and no one can take that away. It doesn't matter what you sound like, your voice is your own and own your own voice. That's a beautiful way to think about the way to work through that difficulty. This is part of me. This is who I am. And there's nothing inherently bad about who I am and and the sound that my voice can make. Is it difficult to engage clients when they um, kind of immediately begin with this, here's why I can't do this? Or are there times where you can't? How does that look? I think it depends on the person. Mm -hmm. Um, I personally will never make anybody sing. Um, I mean, I even remember in my first clinical practicums where I was supposed to sing in front of people and I'm not a classically trained singer. So 
it is a challenging spot to be put in, but I, so I can understand that. But so I never force anybody to sing if they don't want to. I understand your voice is vulnerable. And so it's just really approaching with constant kindness and support and knowing that I am not here to judge you. We're not going to go on America's Got Talent tomorrow. So it's just about this here and now and learning to use music to help you each and every day. Awesome. So the way that I like to end the podcast is by asking each guest, what is something that someone could do right now to begin to feel more grounded or centered or help them through an intense, maybe unpleasant emotion? Mm. Take a deep breath. Just take a deep breath. Feel your shoes solid on the ground. And just notice your, your senses. What are you smelling? What are you hearing? What are you seeing? To ground yourself in this moment. Mm-hmm. Becoming present in your body in the moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. And... Finally, um, because things are as uncertain and difficult and painful and uh, intense as they are right now, uh, I like to hear from guests about what it is that you're doing in order to remain connected and grounded Mm -hmm. in your own life. Yeah, that's been an interesting thing to kind of figure out. Um, This life really changed very, very quickly. So I kind of had to adapt and find my new normal. And for me, it was first just keeping it simple, just Mm -hmm. keeping it simple because, boy, it's sure easy to just get lost in the shuffle and the mix of everything happening. Um, Second was leaning into my music. That music has always been there for me, and I need to keep that a priority in my life too. And third, I would say keeping a routine as well has also been key. So getting up at the same time every day, making sure I get in my exercise, getting walking the dog, just those simple things of keeping that routine helps keep me grounded in myself in my day. And then lastly, I'd say making sure to connect with family too. It's not the same as it has been, but for me, something is better than nothing. I don't have a lot of a lot of family around where I live, so just you know, a couple of texts here and there, or phone calls here and there has been has been really helpful to hear and see those familiar voices and faces. Well, thanks so much. Thanks for sharing all that with us. Awesome. Thanks, Laura. Yeah, so great to meet you. Great to meet you as well. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Starting to Feel Better, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Intro and outro music was recorded by Goodnight Gold Dust.